Blog Talk Radio. Great joy and good afternoon, my friend. The Nepalese Meditation Bowl is chiming, centering your mind and delight on the art of the CEO, the show that brings you the most fascinating and actually the most helpful leaders in the business community from all over our terrestrial orb. I am Bart Jackson, your Hieronymus Bosch of business. And how would you have cleaned up Trinity Church and all the buildings around after the Twin Towers attack of 9-11? How would you have restored the lost buildings and shattered lives after a fire or a hurricane or a tornado? Well, the odds are excellent that you haven't the faintest idea, neither do I. But one of those very rare heroes who can restore properties and lives after all these disasters is Mr. Damon Gersh, CEO of Maxon's Restorations, begun by his father Max Gersh in 1920. And he and his team can do amazing things and rise buildings from the ashes like a phoenix. Recently, with the Art of the CEO of Awarded Maxon's Restorations, our annual Community Contributor Award for all that they've rebuilt, and also the hope that they've restored to so many places around New York and up and down the East Coast. And as we chatted with Damon, uh, I really just realized we, we had to share this this marvelous man's uh, stories, his expertise, and also his personal compassion with you. So whether you're a software genius and entrepreneur who realizes the fragility of his own human manufactured realm like Dan, or you're a construction venturist making sturdier homes for shoreside dwellers like Don, pull up your chair a little closer and join us in this feast of wisdom all carefully cuisined to make your career thrive and your adventures flourish. Damon, you're very gracious to come share your insights and experiences with us today. Thank you, Bart. It's a pleasure to be here. And, well, I'd like to start right off to, just so to give the folks uh, a little bit of both the drama and the delicacy of your amazing restoration work. C- could you share with us the story of how you came to see America's Great Seal in St. Paul's Chapel, right near Trinity Church, right after the Twin Towers attack on September 11, 2001, and how you began that restoration? Sure. Well, as you can imagine, it was uh, unexpected that we'd ever be in that situation. And I didn't even know that those uh, original paintings of the Great Seal of the United States and the Great Seal of New York State uh, were even in St. Paul's Chapel. They were painted for George Washington's inauguration, uh, and he went to St. Paul's Chapel and prayed there back on April 30th, 1789. And we were called in about five days after 9-11, uh, to have a look at these paintings and see what could be done. And uh, they were covered in dust and debris from the towers falling, which was just a block away. And uh, the vicar walked me over to them and said, what do we do about these? And I immediately, A, knew that they were priceless uh, national treasures. And the other was, I was just struck by the power of the uh, images, you know, of uh, the eagle with the arrows in one hand and the olive branches in the other. And after a few minutes oh, of being my. stunned, I had to uh, get to work and said, we have to get these out of here right away. Right, right. It it just must have been uh, an amazing symbol of all that was swirling around among you and, and all of us throughout the nation at that time. It's, uh, it, and good for you for, for taking care of it. Did you uh, 
you must have had uh, people on hand or that you were getting ready with that? Sure. Well, uh, for that in particular, uh, we have a network of resources, and we uh, try to apply the appropriate resource for what's at hand. And for something like that, there was only one restorer that we knew that could handle that, and we were able to get uh, permission from the Mayor's Office of Emergency Management to uh, get a van down there and crate those paintings up and get them out of there and uh, off to a safe studio so that they can begin the restoration process. That's that's amazing, and they're and they're back there now. Uh, Damon, you have uh, developed. Uh, actually, you talk about bringing other people in. You've developed a business model for something that it's a uh, more and more recurring challenge. Now, Maxon's handles, uh, as you tell me, over two thousand jobs a year, and a lot of that must be boom and bust business. So. You, like many firms, you've got this lean in-house staff, which uh, has needs and disasters demand. You have to swell to a huge trained force almost instantaneously. You, uh, could you tell us how you're able to handle this, this overwhelming outsourcing model? Sure. Well, we see ourselves as a resource for our clients. So we're able to amass uh-huh. uh, whatever uh, resources that they need to solve their problems. And each loss or each project that we work on is unique in a lot of ways and need a different series or set of skills and capabilities. So we have a network of uh, subcontractors and vendors who we've uh, built relationships with over the decades uh, to basically bring to bear any solution to our clients' problems. Um, And uh, during 9-11, we were able to scale up to over 1,600 workers cleaning up all of the buildings and apartments and businesses all around uh, the Trade Center. So that was the extreme version of us being able to respond to a surge in demand for our services. Well, now, you do something special, though. I think, uh, if I'm right, you're, you're, it was your father that began this. You you don't just have outside contractors who are roaming around. You've developed them to a large extent, correct? It's true. Uh, back in the day, my dad used to have a large team on staff, but in our business, it is a little bit seasonal. The winter is busier than the summer, and there are peaks of demand, whether we have a cold snap that leads to pipe breaks or uh, furnace sure. malfunctions and things like that. So he would keep uh, these staff around year-round, and he would pay as a loss leader just to keep them so he had them when he needed them on tap. And then at some point he realized that it was smarter to really invest in them starting their own small businesses. So they became uh, independent contractors who worked exclusively for my dad and now for us. And over the last 50 years, they've uh, split up and uh, and they've started their own crews so that we have a pretty vast network of skilled laborers who we work with and have established relationships with, which is unique in the United States. Yes, well, you you have actually been uh, uh, an angel to to these entrepreneurs and and been both and been the subcontractor and angel at the same time. I think that's really uh, very very admirable and and a win win for everybody. Sure. Yeah. Uh, well, now I know that that uh, I'm sure that you have on on call a ready supply of of laborers, carpenters, electricians, plumbers. But uh, I was wondering if you could uh, share with us some of the more exotic experts and skills needed for the various restorations. 
<laughs> well, as I said, we have to be a resource for our clients, and whether they're the commercial and industrial clients or our high-end residential clients that we encounter in Manhattan, uh, we have to offer all their services under one roof. So uh, we do have uh, specialty services that we provide, uh, everything from environmental services, which includes mold and lead and asbestos mm. and structural drying of wet buildings, and then perhaps uh, less uh, dramatic or less um, exotic is the trauma and client crime scene cleanup. So uh, we're oh, a resource yeah. for our real estate clients that have those situations. Uh, we also uh-huh. get involved in hoarder cleanouts, which is always interesting. Oh, <laughs> Yes. Uh, <laughs> a, makes Fahrenheit 451 seem a very practical tool, but, but I, I it's, suppose not. It's fascinating <laughs> and very challenging. Um, and, and we also oh. do things like infection control. So if a cruise ship has, uh, you know, it's, so you hear about these things where people get sick, we're able to decontaminate cruise ships and hospitals, and as well as we do very high-end fine arts and antique and oriental rug restoration and document drying and indoor air quality. It's really a wide array of services that we bring to bear. Oh, I can imagine if something like a law firm got hit by a flood and, and the paper chase is, is all just sort of floating around as the waves wash merrily in it. And you dry them all out and take care of them, right? Absolutely. They're irreplaceable. So, uh, and they have specific coverage for these things, and it's very costly. But if need be, we will peel the papers apart if they're wet one at a time. A lot of times we'll reproduce oh, them, and we'll scan them and uh, digitize them. So anything to save those uh, irreplaceable information and documents. You make us uh, a little more aware of, as I say, how fragile our our whole highly civilized life is. Mm-hmm. And with all of these people that you keep around, I notice that uh, that you really have a ready spirit. We when you when we presented you with the Community Contributor Award, you were also receiving an award for corporate culture, and your team was there, and it was very very obvious that you do a lot more than brick and mortar restoration you have a hope and a spirit that you not only offer to the clients but your entire team seems to carry this energy and so with you as leader uh for all the ceos and would-be ceos out there could how do you instill that uh fulfilling spirit and how do you keep the fire going well I'd say there's a a lot of things to that, but I think it first and foremost starts with our mission. Uh, People have to have a reason to come to work that's not just about shuffling paper or making money. So Maxon's mission is to make the world a better place, one relationship and one project at a time. And we've learned that everything is a relationship and everything is a project. So uh, we try to inject fun in what we do and work as a team uh, we're always challenged because every situation, as I said, is very unique. So it uh, right. taps into our problem-solving spirit and uh, our ingenuity and innovation. So that makes it interesting. But ultimately, at the bottom line, we're helping people. We're actually making a positive difference in people's lives and thus the world. We help people get back on their feet after what oftentimes is the worst experience that they've had in their lives. I think, you know, and I think the idea that you are doing good and you can see this must be a, a wonderful thing to keep the team together and people working together. And, and as I say, it's you, you do seem to have a lot of fun at it. Now, 
I uh, one more thing before we leave nine eleven and and totally you as I say you, you as you said swelled to an army of sixteen hundred people, but this was a time like like no other. How did you uh, you and innovated a lot of processes uh, uh, that made it all work. Could you tell us uh, some of the innovations that you had working on at at that time, do you recall? Sure. Well, they say necessity, was it invention? Necessity is the mother of invention, sorry. Uh, I've heard heard tell, I don't know. Yeah, you've heard that. (laughs) But uh, the feeling there was that we knew that we had relationships with a lot of the leading insurance and real estate companies in New York City and that we would be tasked with a lot of that restoration. So uh, the feeling I had was standing on a beach watching a tidal wave come in from far in the distance, (laughs) right? So uh, either we were going to get swept away by it or we were going to learn how to surf. So uh, (laughs) we brought our team together and, um, Uh and we developed what our strategic priorities were. And one of them was to secure our uh, our labor base. So we had locked up the skilled labor market uh, within 100 miles of anybody that had experience doing what we did. We were able to secure them and get their commitment to work exclusively for us. And as a result of that army we were putting together, we uh, put together a military reporting structure uh, so things no didn't get unwieldy. Yeah, we had it so yeah, that yeah. no person had more than 10 people reporting to them. So you could look oh, at that pyramid, and nobody got right, overwhelmed. Right. Everybody knew who they had to report to or get their instructions from. And what that allowed us to do was not only scale, but if we had a directive that had to go out to all these workers and supervisors over 100 locations, we had a methodology to get that information and push it down through our workforce and conversely, we had the same methodology that if things were happening in the field that we needed to know, uh, we were a, we had a method to get those up that chain of command and uh, into our kind of war room so that we could adapt and innovate with the changing demands of what was happening there. Boy, you know, it reminds me of the ancient Roman army that had the, the manimal cohort century and so forth. Uh, and they... And it was by having the sheer numbers by which the organization functions and nobody gets overwhelmed because there is a feeder and a stop point everywhere along. I think that's it's very clever. You also did something with the you, – you sort of systematized the insurance reporting, didn't you, or claims reporting? Yeah, we do. Uh, the typical process for uh, capturing what we do and reporting it to an insurance company is pretty laborious where you have to measure every room and inventory all the things that you're restoring. And you can imagine just in a one-bedroom apartment, that (laughs) takes hours to take that inventory down. And we were doing thousands of apartments. So uh, I had proposed to the insurance industry that we would do a streamlined flat rate pricing based on studio, one-bedroom, two-bedroom, three-bedroom, and light, moderate, and severe damage. And we kind of... uh, figured out that there'll be a lot of variation, but it was the 80-20 rule that those were going to capture right. 80% of the projects that we would do. And with so many uh, projects we were doing that those peaks and valleys would kind of flatten out. And uh, so that allowed us to really manage uh, hundreds of projects in a day and also allowed insurance companies to settle losses with people in five minutes rather than them have to go oh, through that same estimating process. 
boy, they they must have loved you. I, I would think they'd be very very pleased. It's, you know, uh, I think I think the key is anything that you could do to streamline your operations and make things easier for your customer. Uh, they appreciate it, and you make yourself an invaluable resource for them. Oh, absolutely true. Absolutely. Uh, well, at this particular point, I I am just amazed at the stories and the way you've been able to maneuver yourself into handle new situations that are always coming at you. It is very admirable. And with this delightful noshing at today's Feast of Wisdom, I think it's time for us to take a brief sorbet, uh, if you will, and allow me to proffer you a few utensils for today's feast. And the first utensil, as I always do, uh, yes, allow me to... uh, why don't I remind each of you hearing my voice that the good Lord has gifted you with the title and privileges of chief executive officer of yourself. And since that's really the most important position you'll hold ever in your career, allow me to ask, will this be the day that you begin to see finances and possessions as mere tools to fulfill your dreams and help others? Or will you continue to imbue them with some sort of artificial value that will send you chasing after false salvations? The choice, my friend, is truly yours. And as a second utensil, I can see you yearning to steep your lips into a little laughter and taste a scriptural recitation from the 101 Best Business Quips book. So I have it here, and I'm pulling one. Okay, here's one. <clears throat> we live in an amazing age. Folks who would need no encouragement to share their video of their new child popping out of the womb are mortally offended when you ask them to reveal how much money they make at work. (laughs) And uh, no one really, you know, as an afterthought, no one really believes that their own salary matches his or her true worth or contribution. Yet interestingly, we all scorn or admire each other based on the size of our paychecks. Fascinating. And if you smirked a bit over that quip, we have them literally by the books full. Just visit bartsbooks.com and pick up your copy of 101 or 102 Best Business Quips book, and you will find an arsenal of witty barbs that will help lighten the load of your fellow chain gangers at work. As a third utensil, we sumptuously spoon to you the answer of last week's business quotation. That is, the name of the author who suggested... The greatest business lesson I can recall is that if you are embarking around the world in a hot air balloon, don't forget the toilet paper. (laughs) Those words were spoken by none other than proliferant entrepreneur and founder of so many myriad Virgin Enterprises, Richard Branson. And stick with us, my friend, because later on in the show, blurting away comes another quotation. And if you're among the learned souls who knows the author of that quote, simply scribble it right down as you believe that sage to be and email that name right off to info at bartsbooks.com and if you're correct your knowledge will earn you a mind and soul and career igniting gift freshly disemboweled from the dungeons of bart's books bookstore and before we return to damon gersh's tales of resurrection and creations of new things from the ashes allow me to introduce you to the company by whose good graces we are here today and that beneficial firm is prometheus publishing who provides you with concise counsel from business masters. And this very day, they're proffering you an enriching volume that's helped really a great many women in their careers, entitled, Behind Every Successful Woman is Herself. And this gem of a guide, well, it really embraces all the thoughts of so many leading 
businesswomen who are called in to contribute. And it provides the techniques and disciplines um, and those all-important attitudes as well for ladies who want their career and some entrepreneurial venture to soar on meteorically. Makes it makes an ideal gift for the graduate who's on her way into the business community. And it just plain helps any woman who feels that she's got to get off that darn plateau. So you may pick up your copy at bartsbooks.com. That's B-A-R-T-S-B-O-O-K-S.com. And go right to the bookstore and you will find it. You are, after all, worth it. So now, with utensils in hand, I invite you to turn back with, with me to one of America's great rebuilders and most valued community neighbors, CEO of Maxson's Restorations, Damon Gersh. Damon, it's uh, a regular building. It's just had a little bit of a fire, uh, but it, it catches on tough to restore. But in this case, it's the 51st floor of the Empire State Building. You've got floors above, floors below, and every repair you're doing is 600 feet above the city street. <laughs> you did this. Could you tell us a little bit about the scope of that restoration? Sure. Uh, that was a while ago where we got the call on a Friday night where there was a fire on the 51st floor of the Empire State Building. And uh, we had done work there before, but nothing on this scale up to that point. And uh, we knew we had to mobilize right away. The firefighters had left. And what was amazing was, uh, first of all, the construction of that building is 12 inches of concrete around every floor. So that floor, oh. it was like a war zone because it uh, got so hot in there, it baked everything on the floor. And uh, the firefighters' oh. boots melted when they came up the stairs and started to walk on the terrazzo. So uh, oh it's God. built. It's built unlike Just... buildings they make today. So it, there was mm -hmm. tremendous fire stops, but the heat level was so high there. So that was remarkable. And then when yeah, a fire yeah. happens on a floor, you can imagine the smoke from that fire does go up the pipe chases oh, and the God. elevator shafts and goes up into the building. And the water oh. used by the firefighters. And besides their uh -huh. hoses and the standpipes, they actually broke some of the toilet fixtures with their sledgehammers to flood the floors and uh, cool the place down. Right. So that resulted in many floors of water damage below. So we down, were tasked below, with right. uh, cleaning <laughs> the smoke and the water, and then we were doing the building for uh, the owners of the building and working in each of the tenants' offices. So we're dealing with coordination of many insurance companies and adjusters and damages and coverage. It was, And uh, the hardest thing there is uh, access to that floor with a limited number of elevators and some of them out of service. So uh, that kind of patience and dealing with Manhattan is something that we're used to already. Oh, boy. I, I think it's amazing. But you, you do bring up one point, and um, I think that uh, that a lot of people don't realize, and I, I'd like you to share this with us. A lot of what you do is not covered by insurance, and most people don't know what is and what isn't covered. Is that right? I think that's absolutely right. We see it all the time. Mm -hmm. Now, if I am a tenant, if I'm leasing and I have a business in a building or if, if in, in my home, I'm uh, – and – we, the water damage, say, uh, so uh, from a, from an outside flood, uh, is do I turn to the landlord and the owner and say you guys got to pay for all this? How how is that normally worked out and insured? Even let's suppose I have renter's insurance, but but obviously the owner has insurance. How does that get handled? 
Yeah, I think that's an excellent question because uh, the answer is it depends. Uh, ah, generally, yeah. that's an excellent you know, answer. I, <laughs> I think most people think, hey, I didn't cause this water damage. Somebody upstairs, their pipe broke or whatever it is, or the building's pipe, they're going to pay for it. But that's not really how uh-huh. it works. Well, ultimately, they may be responsible, uh, and when the insurance companies go and they figure out uh, who was at fault, they may pay for it when the lawyers get together years down the road. But when that loss happens, uh, typically the building has its own insurance policy, which covers the actual structure of the building, the pipes, the walls, the floors, all the stuff that if you kind of turn the building upside down and shook it, that would still be there. Uh, Right. But But everything I have brought in as a tenant, that's something else, right? Exactly. So tenants, when they furnish a property and bring in all their business property or personal property, that is not the building's responsibility to insure, restore, clean, replace. Any of that is the tenant's responsibility. So we find most businesses have a business owner's policy that covers that, but a lot of renters don't realize that they need it. And it's a very inexpensive coverage to get that provides you this uh, safety net in case anything happens. But Here's where it gets tricky, Bart, is that uh-huh. what if a tenant makes improvements to a space? Let's say they you know, oh, build boy. out some interior walls or they put up wallpaper sure. or they put in new flooring or light fixtures or whatever that is. Those are called yeah, improvements yeah. and betterments. And right. whether they're covered under your policy or covered under the building's insurance policy, it depends. And when a loss happens, an adjuster says, I need to see the lease. And there's all different kinds of leases, and a lot of them are customized, but a triple net lease puts all of that responsibility on the tenant. And there's other leases which say the building's responsible up to the sheetrock, and the tenant is responsible uh-huh. for the paint uh-huh. and finishes, and all variations uh-huh. thereof. So I'd suggest that what somebody could do is read your lease, make sure you know uh, what that says about your responsibility, and also read your insurance policy, which tells you if you have coverage for contents and improvements and betterments, also known as additions and alterations. Oh, boy. We've sort of moved into uh, some of some of the preventative maintenance here. And I think uh, before we uh, we move along, let's, let's talk just a little bit about this. If uh, a little bit of disaster prevention or at least awareness, could if I – if I own a business, what are some of the basic, just give me a couple of basic steps that I should be uh, considering, uh, uh, be planning for um, in in my business? Sure. I think uh, most small businesses think either they don't need to or they don't have the resources or capabilities to do what would be under the umbrella of continuity planning or disaster planning. But there are some simple steps that you could take. Having seen so many disasters in my lifetime, I see what the main uh, problems with a business to recover from a disaster are this. One, you have to have a communication method with your staff to be able to uh, tell them what's going on. So if access to your building is not possible and you can't, uh, let's say, access your phone system – uh, right, having right. something set up, either a, a Google group or a Facebook group, VOIP, or anything, yeah. some way that you can communicate to your team uh, without having to make 
individual phone calls uh, to find everybody. Another thing is having everybody's personal uh, email and personal cell phone numbers and make sure that you can access them outside of your office. You have to assume that you cannot access your office. So if you have a disaster plan that's sitting on your shelf in your office and you have a list of all your emergency <laughs> contacts and everybody's cell and they're sitting on your desk, they're not going to be very useful to you if your building is shut down or even worse. So I think I at the very least – I up all my computer files and set them by the computer. Right, exactly. Yeah. So at the very <laughs> least, uh, you, you do need to – while you may not have all the answers of what you're going to do, you need to be able to at least communicate to your staff either – you're coming in, work from home, we found another location, we'll meet here tomorrow. So that's super important, and I think that's low-hanging fruit that any owner can do. And then some of the other things, obviously, are redundancy. You know, I think now with cloud computing and, and VoIP, I think uh, it makes it easier for businesses right. now to relocate. So whether you could identify yeah, yeah. in a pinch where you would show up if there's one of these WeWork or um, – one of these other temporary spaces, perhaps opening an account oh, or yeah, sure. picking an address or something like that. And then um, think about what resources you might need in the most likely types of disasters. So whether it's electricians and plumbers and a restoration company um, or an adjuster or your insurance broker, it's good to have these things accessible if you can't make it into the office. And I think you're right. And the other thing is, if 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 this is happening to you, it might be solo, like the this one floor in the Empire State Building. But it may be uh, probably if it, when something like a flood or Hurricane Sandy comes, everybody you everybody's going to be needed. Everyone is is all of a sudden calling Max and, and the phone's ringing off the hook. You have to have some way that you can have people that you can get a hold of and get yourself at the top of the list, right? It's true. I know uh, yeah, during yeah. during Sandy, for example, uh, if you remember, again, all these unexpected things that you can't really anticipate, but everything south of 39th Street was in the dark. So yes, you could get I into your office, right. but there was just no power. So so um, people uh, didn't really uh, – if they weren't prepared, there was nothing that they could do. But uh, in those situations, uh, we did have clients that we have existing relationships and agreements with. So those that are have taken steps to stepping out of the busy stream of day-to-day -day business and put some effort into planning and preparing, uh, we have CPR agreements, which are crisis priority response agreements that clients ah. sign for us, uh, mo mostly large real estate clients who know that it's just right, a matter right. of uh, when, not if, they're, they're going to have some type of need for our service. And what they're doing, they're committing to us that we're their vendor of choice, and we're committing back to them that uh, – To them that well, you'll be on the list. Exactly. Damon, so, I, so, I hate to cut you off, but if okay. I, I have one more question that's absolutely vital, and that is if my home or business does uh, face a disaster, how can, might I get in touch with Maxon's Restorations to restore my home and bring me back some hope? I think the easiest way you can go online to maxons.com, M-A-X-O-N-S.com, or you can call us at 1-800-3-MAXONS. Okay, good. Write that number down. That's the first part of your restoration program, my friend. So 
Damon, thank you so much for coming out here. This this has been fascinating. I, I, we so much more we wanted to talk about, but you really have enlightened us uh, today and and uh, made me uh, think a little bit more about what I need to do. And perhaps sometime we'll have you talk about uh, if if we can seduce you back sometime. We'll have you talk about puffbacks and sandies and, and many many other things that we could cover. <laughs> it would oh, be my pleasure. Great. Thank you so much for coming on. And as we round out today's feast, I am Bart Jackson, your curator of business wisdom, leaving you with today's business quotation. That is, who said, if you're not in over your head, how do you know how tall you are? And as a hint uh, to the author, this poet, essayist, playwright uh, wielded one of the wisest pens throughout the 20th century, and he loved cats and also sang the love song of J. Alfred Prufrock. And if you know the author of this quote, just scribble that sage's name down as you believe him or her to be and send it right off to info at bartsbooks.com. For an absolutely, and you'll get a marvelous gift that will ignite your soul and come from the dungeons of Bart's Books Bookstore. And as a parting shot, in the words of my wife's husband, regardless of the disaster, you may be without electricity, but my friend, you are never without power. And to you gleefully sharing the feast, I hope you've enjoyed the Art of the CEO show as much as Damon and I have enjoyed bringing it to you. And remember, you may download this and all our shows at theartoftheceo.com. That's theartoftheceo.com. And finally, to you who have honored us with your time, may I say, as always, it has been a privilege. I thank you.